Welcome to the August 9th Evening Sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and the sermon is delivered by Revival Guest Speaker, Rev. Dr. Michael Fitzgerald, Pastor Emeritus of Clifford Baptist Church. Before I really get rolling here, I do want to say that, you know, 40 years of life spent here and more life spent here. Uh, and whenever a pastor is called by God to pass on the baton, there's always concern in his heart of the next steps of the church. And I want to say, church, I praise God and I'm proud of you for what I see happening at Clifford Baptist Church. And I want to say this, we pass the baton to the right man of God. Amen. All right, before I get started tonight, I have to tell you a story. You know, last night, Pastor Kelvin, his wife is an angel, and she is a sweet, sweet lady. And my wife is an angel, too, but I got a story to tell you on <laughs> This past Christmas, you know, Gwen and I have passed our mid-60s now. And I say that because Gwen is only a month younger than I am, so we have kind of the same birthday almost. And so Gwen at Christmas said, you know, Mike, I'm at the point I just want to stay sharp, and I want my memory to be sharp, and I kind of feel maybe on the edges. I just need a little help, so I've got a, a suggestion for a Christmas present, and I said, please tell me you're hard to buy for. She said, I want you to get me some Prevagen. <laughs> I want Prevagen for Christmas to help my memory. So I got on to the drugstore, and that stuff's expensive, but I got her a double dose <laughs> of Prevagen. Well, somewhere after Christmas, she went to the doctor, and she must have told the doctor somehow that she was taking Prevagen for memory, and so the doctor must have, ins have inscribed it in her notes. So just a couple weeks ago, she went back to the doctor. And so the doctor, looking at her notes, said, Gwen, are you still taking Prevagen for your memory? And you will not believe what she said to that doctor. She said, I want to, I just keep forgetting to take it. <laughs> I told her when she came home and the doctor told me that, I said, you're going to hear that again, darling. <laughs> but I want you to know, Gwen and I, in a couple weeks, are coming up on 41 years of marriage. Amen. Praise God. Praise God to you, Gwen. Married right after I became pastor here. I became pastor June 1st of 1982. We got married in August on the 21st of 1982. I could not have pastored this church without Gwen by my side. And I could not walk into the further days of ministry. And believe me, I am not retired, ladies and gentlemen. I'm busy in these days. But I could not do anything that I do without Gwen by my side. So I love you, Gwen. Thank you. Now, Following up on that, I am not retired. In fact, in June this past year, June of 2022, when I stepped out of this role as senior pastor, 
I made a promise to God. I'm going to continue preaching, and I'm going to continue creating sermons. I don't want to ride on the past of the sermons I've done. I want to look to a future of sermons to do. For those of you who are visiting with us tonight, one of the things that I have done over many years of the church is to preach through books of the Bible. Uh, I've done a lot of books in the Old Testament Genesis, Exodus, Ruth, there are a number, Daniel, there are a number of Old Testament books I've covered. And I've covered through those years all of the New Testament except two books, First and Second Corinthians. And so I said, God, I'm going to every Monday morning, just as I have done for 40 years, I'm going to my office and I'm going to create a sermon every week just as I've done over the years. And so for the last year and two months, uh, I have been working on First and Second Corinthians, and two weeks ago, I finished that study. I have 56 brand new sermons <laughs> to preach. Now, yeah, I don't think you want them all tonight, but uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to somehow preaching those sermons or podcasting them or publishing them in written form. I don't know yet. I'm asking God to give me direction for these 56 brand new sermons, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But tonight, I want you to turn with me to 1st Corinthians chapter 2. This is a sermon out of that series, and this sermon touched me as I was completing it. And as we get to this scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to give you a little background about Corinth, the city in which this church was placed by the very hand of God. Corinth is in southern Greece. It was a very eclectic city. It was the hub of travel and commerce. It had a population that was extremely transient. They were on a major port route. They were on a sailing route, and they were a port city. And so the transient population that passed through that city every day, a great percentage of that population were sailors who were coming through the city as their ships were passing through the port. And because the city was on that major shipping route, those sailors roamed the streets day and night looking for a good time. So Corinth was a lost place. Corinth was a port city, and Corinth was a party city, and Corinth was one of the most evil cities in the world in that day. Worldly philosophy was taught there. Philosophers stood on every corner. It was a religious city, but the religion was based in the false goddess of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And temple prostitutes roamed the streets day and night, offering themselves to whomever was passing by in the name of a God. It was an evil place. And Paul came to Corinth as a missionary, and he preached Jesus Christ there, and people were saved out of those evil lifestyles, and they gave their hearts to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Paul took that group of people who responded to the gospel, and he formed them into a church family and placed that church in the very heart of Corinth. And he stayed there, according to Acts chapter 8, 18, verse 11, he stayed in Corinth and shepherded them for a year and a half to get that ministry on the rails in Corinth 
a very evil city. But as he was a missionary, God called him on in to further service, and so he had to travel on. And when Paul traveled away from Corinth, the church just fell apart. And the reason they fell apart is very simple. The church took its eyes off of Jesus. And they started looking inward and looking at themselves. And they allowed false teachers teaching a false gospel to come into the church. They allowed immorality to sneak and to creep into the church. They allowed alcohol to seep into the church. People were staggering into the church drunk because they'd taken their eyes off of the Savior that they'd given their lives to. They rejected being Christ-centered, and they turned around to be self-centered again. That, my friends, is destruction for a church 2,000 years ago, and it's destruction for a church today. When we take our eyes off of our Savior, there's going to be trouble in the church. Corinth was one of the most troubled churches in the New Testament. I would say probably it was the most troubled church in the New Testament. Some lesser missionaries might have written back to the church and said, just write Ichabod over your doors because the Spirit has departed from you. They were so far away from Jesus. Well, tonight as we open 1 Corinthians 2, this is a very deep study of Christian doctrine. I want you to have your Bible with you tonight. Put it on your lap and do not close it. Look with me as we center down on what makes us and keeps us a church. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Keep your Bible open, but we're going to start with verses 1 through 8. Hear these words as Paul writes this letter to a very, very hurting, struggling church. Paul says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, not of the princes of this world that come to naught, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Keep your Bible open. We're going to move on from here, but may God add His blessing to the reading of His Word tonight. Let me explain something here that applies to what Paul is writing. Remember that I said Corinth was a city of philosophers, that philosophers stood on every corner. I majored in philosophy and religion at James Madison University in preparation to go on to seminary some years later. And so I learned a lot about Greek philosophy. 
I especially enjoyed reading the ancient philosophers of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. But I have to tell you this, Greek philosophy is not centered on the God of the Bible. It is centered on human wisdom. It is humanistic. It's centered on our intelligence and our logic and what we can figure out. And philosophers standing on every corner of Corinth were trying to attract a crowd around them as followers. And the way they did that is with very fancy, very flowery language to attract the people because they were so very intelligent that they wanted to attract followers because of their mind, because of what they had figured out, their philosophies. And philosophers gained those followers through their own worldly intelligence. And they wanted to impress people with their mind and with what they knew And as Paul writes to this struggling church, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he said, when I came to Corinth as a missionary, I didn't come with fancy or excellent language. I didn't come to show you my wisdom. Let me tell you why I came. Look at verse 2, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the only thing I came to preach. The one thing that I wanted to bring to you. My preaching was not about me. It's all about Him. I didn't come to get followers for me. I came to create disciples for Jesus. And so I had one message and one message alone, and that is Jesus Christ who was crucified for us that we might be forgiven and free. Look at verse 3. Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, talking about those days that he spent with them. I believe that was literally true. Weak and trembling and fearful, this great missionary, this great man of God. But prior to getting to Corinth, he had almost been beaten to death in Philippi because he preached the gospel. He had been run out of Thessalonica and Berea because he preached the gospel. He had been laughed at and scoffed at in Athens because he preached the gospel. So when he got to Corinth, he was weak and he was trembling and he was worn. But he said, in that physical weakness, I preached to you to look beyond me and see the power and the authority and the blessing of God Almighty through Jesus Christ. Look past me and see Jesus. Look past my my weakness and see his power. That's what I preach to you. You know, actually, that needs to be the heart of all preaching today. Look beyond the weaknesses of Mike Fitzgerald tonight. And some of you have known me for 40 years, and you know me through and through. Warts and all, you know me. And I am nothing more than a simple, sinful man who has been given the grace of Jesus Christ to stand behind this pulpit. I do not deserve it, but it is his gift of grace that allows me to stand here. It's not by my worthiness. It's by his gift of grace. And so, tonight, 
we know that we are to see Jesus alone as the power of God. The pulpit is not a place for human fame or human stardom. And I think you know we live in a culture where we have some superstar preachers out there. Let me say this to you. If you ever hear more about the preacher than the Jesus he preaches, something is wrong. Absolutely, we put the spotlight on Jesus Christ and shun it upon ourselves. We're nothing more than the frame, and he's the picture. We put the spotlight on him, and that's all Paul wanted. And I want you to know that's a truth for every one of us as believers, not just the preachers, but every believer here. We shouldn't care if the world ever knows or remembers our name. Our desire is that our world knows the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the God of the universe, the one who can give us life. Our heart and our soul and our mind is centered on pointing to Jesus. Friends, tonight, I believe that's what revival is all about, coming back to that truth that all we're about is pointing to Jesus and giving our lives to Him in ministry and in service. A revival tonight is pointing to Him alone. I pray that revival doesn't wind up tonight, but really begins tonight as we finish up these services. That's all Paul wanted, point to Jesus. That's all we want, point to Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. But when but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Here's a central New Testament word that I want you to underline in your Bible. The word is mystery. The Greek word is mysterion. And that word means it is a truth that God alone can think up. It is a truth that only God can establish. It is beyond our wisdom. It is beyond our mind. Only God could come up with this truth, but He wants us to know it. You know, when we think of a mystery, we think of something that we need to figure out or it's just beyond our fingertips and we don't know what it means. God wants us to know the truth. It's a truth that only He could establish, but He wants us to know it. But a mystery cannot be produced in any human mind. It's a thought that's too big, too deep for human wisdom. That's God's wisdom. That's God's territory. But he wants us to know it. And here's what God wants every single human being to know. Write down these three words. Plan. Purchase presence. Plan, purchase, presence. The first word is plan. God the Father, God Almighty planned for you and me to be saved eons and eons ago, even before creation began. Paul said it best in another letter, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, he said, he hath meaning God, He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So, 
The Bible says God did not come up with the plan of salvation as an afterthought when Adam and Eve fell into sin. He goes, "Uh uh-oh, we got a problem here. I got to come up with a plan to save these people. No, the Bible says that God had the plan before he ever said, let there be light. God had a plan, which infers and implies that God knew he was going to lay down his life for his creation before he ever created it. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God made a plan. Here's the second part of the mystery. God the Father's plan was carried out when Jesus the Son purchased our salvation and our forgiveness in punishment for my sin and your sin on the old rugged cross. His death paid the price to purchase you and me as his sons and his daughters. But listen, the mystery goes one step further. The plan and purchase goes one step further in the truth of God. Every person who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ and receives forgiveness through faith by His grace will have the presence of the Holy Spirit to move into our heart and move into our life so that He will never, ever leave us again. He will be an eternal presence in us. Plan, purchase, presence. The plan of God, the purchase of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Can you feel the Trinity in that? It takes the Trinity to save us. It takes the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three persons to save us. There's the mystery of God revealed to us, God's plan, Jesus' purchase, the Spirit's presence. Look at verses 9 and 10, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Again, Paul says, human beings can never conceive of this plan. Our eyes would have never seen it. Our ears would have never heard it. Our mind, our heart could have never conceived it. Only God could have this plan for our salvation. It comes from Him alone. Only God could say, I, the perfect creator, will lay down my life for my imperfect creation. And yet, a five-year-old can understand it. The mystery of God, the truth of God that every person needs to know. Look at verses 11 through 16. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 
But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we, church, we have the mind of Christ. Look back again, 12 and 13. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I have preached the gospel, including some years of college, probably getting close to 45 years now. And as the years have gone by, from the beginning to this point tonight, the Lord has increased in my heart and in my life very early on that in the context of every sermon, I need to extend an invitation to a lost person. 2,000 sermons plus in the pulpit alone on Sunday mornings, every one of them has contained an invitation to the Lord Jesus Christ for that one lost soul. Maybe tonight you're here in this sanctuary. Maybe tonight you're watching online one lost soul. And if it takes me a half hour to give this plan of salvation, it is worth it. Amen? Because heaven is standing in the balance and hell is standing in the balance. This is a very, very important moment and an important message that every person needs to hear, but the lost need to hear it. The world is dying to hear it and needing to hear it. These two little verses are a guide to every invitation. Paul is saying here, it's not the preacher's duty to talk you into salvation. Salvation can never be accomplished by Brother Earl or Brother Jeffrey or Clyde or whomever trying to talk you into being a Christian, coming to the Lord. We can't talk you into that. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says in Scripture, God Himself wants you to know the gift that He freely wants to give you. We can speak the invitation, but it's not ours. It's His, and He gives us the privilege to speak it, but it's His invitation. God wants you to know He loves you. God wants you to know He came to save you. God wants you to know that you can belong to Him for all eternity as His son, as His daughter. It is His invitation. No human being can make you come to Jesus. You can't ride to heaven on the salvation of your godly mama. You can't ride to heaven on the salvation of a Christian friend. You can't go to heaven because your granddaddy was a preacher. 
You have to do exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, and that is to come to this narrow gate where only one person can go through at a time, and you stand at that gate, and you personally say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I'm hell-bound, and I know I'm in trouble, and there's only one way that I can be forgiven, and that is through Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose from the grave that I might have life eternal. And I have to make that decision on my own. We come to the gate. I'm so glad I came to the gate. Tonight, if you never have, here or somewhere in the world, he wants you to step through that gate of faith and forgiveness and blessing and heaven. You know, over the years, many people have asked me about the unforgivable sin. People have come to me and said, Mike, is the unforgivable sin suicide? No. Is the unforgivable sin murder? No. Is the unforgivable sin unquenchable addiction to a substance like alcohol or drugs? No. That's not... Any of those are not the unforgivable sin. Jesus addresses it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's addressed also in other places. But from Jesus' own words, I want you to just hear this. Mark chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherever wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. The unforgivable sin is to hear the invitation to Jesus Christ over and over And you acknowledge that God has a plan for me, and Jesus purchased me on the cross, but I will not receive the Holy Spirit into my life. And over and over with every invitation, you say no to the Spirit coming into your heart, and no to receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. And Jesus says, every time you say no, you get closer to the doorway of hell. Tonight, it's not me, it's not my doing, it's not clever words that are drawing you if you're lost and you're hearing this message. It's the Spirit of God speaking to you, pulling you, wanting you, asking you to come to Him. The God of the universe is in conversation with you right now. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, He's saying to you, I love you so much, I created you in the mother's womb knit together by the very hand of God with a plan from me. And my son Jesus, God himself, laid down his life on the cross to purchase your forgiveness there. He took your place on the old rugged cross. So if you're here tonight, listening online tonight, anywhere in the world, this is your invitation. Give it up. And come and say, yes, Lord Jesus, I hear the plan. I know the purchase. 
I open my heart to the Spirit of God to receive you as my Savior. You know, many people at the moment of invitation might say, I feel it, but not tonight. I feel it, but I I got some things I got to get right. I feel it, but I got to get more normal and more uh, more regular in church. I'm going to put it off for a little bit. Don't put, the, don't put this off. Tonight is the night. This is the moment. This is when Jesus is reaching to you, asking for you to come to him. And I can say this to you, whether you're here in this room or whether you're online tonight, if you will receive him as your Lord and Savior, there is going to be a celebration in heaven because you didn't have a revival. You had a resurrection. You passed from death into life, from hell to heaven, from guilt and sin to forgiveness by the grace of God through Jesus Christ because you invited him into your heart as your Savior. And the Spirit of God moves into you. I pray, I pray for you tonight. I was there, and I'm so glad I came. Don't put him off. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm coming to the home stretch here, but I want you to listen. Believers, will we rekindle revival fires among us tonight? Will we, as believers, come to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for the plan to save me. Thank you for the purchase of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you for the moment that I said yes to you as my Savior, and the Spirit of God moved into my life and to my heart And I believe true revival comes when you and I realize what it really means to belong to Jesus as our Savior. He changes who we are. The Bible teaches us that we become a completely new creation. And He changes us from wanting our will to wanting His will. He changes us from wanting our plan to wanting His plan for our life and His purpose for our life. It changes the very core of who we are when we come to Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Amen? It changes us as we follow Him. Years ago, I think the year was 1976, six years before your pastor was born. Yeah, you can laugh. I was a worker for the, the Virginia Department of Transportation in Stanton, Virginia. i just come out of my first year of college and was a summer worker at VDOT. <laughs> Can you see me in one of those hats? <laughs> I still have it. I should have brought it with me tonight. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to work for VDOT. When you work for a crew, those guys do not know your name. Everybody has a nickname. And some of the nicknames that were on my crew that I remember, there was a guy there, his last name was Van Hoosier, and his name was Hoosie. That's all I ever knew, Hoosie. There was another guy whose name was uh, Hillbilly. Another guy whose name was Leapy. I don't know why, but that was his name. And, of course, because I was coming out of college and I was preparing for ministry, I think you know my nickname was Preacher Man, VDOT, 1976. I became friends with another summer worker that year. And one day he told me 
He was a preacher's kid. He grew up in a preacher's home. And he said, you know, when I was young, I did everything that was expected of me. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, and I was baptized, and I gave my heart to him. He said, but in my teen years, I lived in rebellion to that. And I lived in rebellion to who my father was. And I didn't want anything to do with him, and I didn't want anything to do with the church. But he said, every time I walked out of the door of my home, my dad said to me, remember whose you are. And he said, you know, I thought every time my dad said that, he was telling me, remember that you're a preacher's kid. Remember you're a PK. Remember to act in such a way that you don't bring shame on my name as a preacher. But he said, my dad kept on repeating that phrase every time I walked out of the door in my rebellion. Remember whose you are. And he said, in time, I realized that my dad was saying, remember you belong to Jesus. And he said, it brought me back. The prodigal came back. And he said, I know, Lord Jesus, I belong to you. And he said, I realized in those days that I belonged to Jesus more than I ever belonged to my dad. I've never forgotten those words, and I've never told that story in this pulpit. But tonight, believers, can we say, oh, Lord, I know you created me with a plan. And I know Jesus purchased my forgiveness on the cross. And I know I belong to you, Lord. Help me surrender my life and live for you every single day. Those last words of 1 Corinthians 2.16 say, we have the mind of Christ. We're thinking as Jesus would have us to think tonight. Do you want revival in your life? Do you want revival in Clifford Baptist Church or the church you represent here tonight? Then we need to surrender all we have as believers to live for Him. So, teenagers, tonight, would you approach the altar of your heart and if God so moves in you to approach this altar tonight and say, Lord, I know whose I am. And I will live for you, and I will serve you, and I will witness for you every day of my life from this point forward. What a blessing to know that there are teenagers here tonight, early 20s here tonight, who can make that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, and decades of life will be given to Jesus in this commitment tonight. Maybe tonight you are a young person or a young family, would you come to the altar of your heart and maybe come to this altar tonight to say, Lord Jesus, we know whose we are. And we know we need to live for you. 
And for young families, parents, will you say, we know our children are from the Lord, and we want to raise them in such a way that they will stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior so that they will know whose they are. Parents, will you commit your life to that tonight? That people know whose we are. Now, for those of us who are in my bracket, (laughs) middle and a little older than that, I'll never forget what pal Massey, Dr. Massey, said to me How many years ago was it that they joined Clifford Baptist Church? My guess is you all were in your 70s in those days. But I'll never forget, as they had come forward and Dr. Massey and Bethel were standing next to me, and the choir, or rather the church was singing that final hymn of invitation, Dr. Massey whispered into my ear, you have the best of what we have left. Take that in. You have the best of what we have left. Let me say tonight, I know that the days of my life are more numerous behind me physically than they are before me. Tonight, I want to give him the very best of what I have left because I know whose I am. Do you know whose you are? And will you give him your life and surrender? Every one of us has a decision to make here tonight. And if we make that decision to give our heart and our surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, revival doesn't end tonight. Revival doesn't wind up tonight. Revival begins tonight as we walk into the world, knowing whose we are. If you need Jesus as your Savior, you come. Jesus publicly died on the cross for every eye to see. Publicly, you come. And allow the Holy Spirit of God to move into your heart as you receive Him as your Savior. I'm not going to twist arms. This is entirely up to you to come to the altar of your heart. If you want to approach this altar and say, Lord, I know whose I am. And I surrender my life to serve you every day I have. You come. If you want to just come and spend a couple of moments here in your personal prayer or take a pastor by the hand, you come. Church home. Whatever you need, the Lord Jesus meets us here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these moments. I pray that the lost will come because of your invitation of love. I pray that we who are sons and daughters, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, saved by faith through your grace, that we will come to the altar of our hearts tonight and say, Lord, I know whose I am. And I will serve you and I surrender to you my entire life to show others the love of Christ. Church home, whatever we need tonight, this moment is yours. And this revival is yours. And someone's resurrection tonight can be your victory. Bless us, we pray, in these precious moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.